0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, March 25th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news and then diving into the mailbag to answer a few listener questions. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at slashfilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film writers White Bui. Bowie.
1: Hey, everyone.
0: And Chris Evangelista. Hello. All right, guys, let's jump right into the news before we get into the mailbag. Uh, HT, tell us the latest about, uh, well, not the latest, uh, the brand new news that uh, sort of came out and and hit the wire this morning uh, before we started recording about a new video game movie that's in the works.
1: Yeah, the wildly popular samurai video game Ghost of Tsushima is becoming a movie. Uh, Sony Pictures and PlayStation Productions are developing a film adaptation of the open world action adventure game Ghost of Tsushima, which debuted. Just last July, and Chad stahelski who directed all three John Wick films, is attached to direct this movie. Uh Stahelski is also producing with his 8711 Entertainment. And uh that is, and, you know, various other PlayStation production and uh Sucker Punch production people are attached to produce as well. So this is um Exciting news for people who are Ghost of Tsushima fans. I can't say I'm one of them. I haven't played this game. But I've heard great things about it. Like it was all the rage when it de- debuted in July 2020. Uh, it earned a lot of raves. People were just playing it and talking about the Kurosawa mode that you can play in, which is the black and white mode that plays homage to Akira Kurosawa samurai films. And the entire film, entire game is uh, one big tribute to Akira Kurosawa samurai movies like Seven Samurai, Sanjuro, and it follows uh, a samurai uh, named Jin Sakai, who is the last surviving member of his clan, who set aside his samurai tradition to protect Tsushima Island from the first Mongol invasion of Japan. And um, I don't know much about this game, but uh, I think (laughs) either of you might know more
0: yes i played this game Uh, chris you did not play this right
2: i did not i am not much of a gamer although i'm i'm obviously aware of it
0: okay so i played this game and uh it is indeed very good it's it's a really enjoyable experience it's the gameplay is very similar to a lot of other games of this type but yes the the sort of like um insane open world element of it is really uh, it's, it's a beautiful beautiful game um and uh yeah you, like you mentioned HJ it's about this this sort of uh, the last remaining surviving uh, member of this samurai family who uh has the memories of his uh his uncle who raised him in his head who you know brought him up to be this guy who follows the the uh, you know who has a code of honor and follows the the rules of the law but he realizes like he's gonna have to resort to Um, sort of cowardly and, and more um, like guerrilla style warfare. If he wants to uh, help, um, you know, overthrow this Mongol invasion on his Island. And and it's all about the the majority of the game is about this sort of mental uh, breakdown that he has this sort of um, uh, crisis of conscience of like, what kind of man is he becoming? If he has to, you know, poison somebody from a distance instead of, you know, looking in looking them in the eye when he has to stab them, that kind of thing. So yeah, it's a it's a movie that I feel like is going to have a lot. Uh, it certainly has a lot to chew on, but yeah, I think the idea of Stahelski directing this HT, What do you think about that?
1: Well, I love Stahelski as a director. I think the John Wick movies are fantastic, and he revived the martial arts uh, movie in a way that feels refreshing and exciting and innovative for a time when, look, for the many years after it, the, the first like uh, Hong Kong. Hong, Hong Kong Hong, Hong Kong kung fu inspired film was first the rage like back in the '90s, mm-hmm. uh, and um, his sort of gun fu take on that is really exciting. But it is a a, a white Western director taking on a um, samurai film that's very much inspired by japanese mythology and folklore although i think the game itself received some criticism for that that being like a western centric sort of take on samurai lore um yeah. my my like friend's very brief uh, synopsis of it was like it's, it's a samurai game for weeaboos which is the game the name for people who are like obsessed with japanese culture yeah, yeah, <laughs> and definitely. so i i definitely feel like having chastahelski on on to direct it will kind of uh perpetuate that sort of uh idea i guess that kind of angle but um, yeah like
0: almost like an exoticism yeah kind of applied to it yeah. exactly
1: but i do really like stahelski as a director and i think he is uh, of the john wick directors who have come out of that franchise the more successful and more talented mm-hmm. of the two <laughs> Sorry David Leach. Sorry yes. David. Leitch.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, let's go into some superhero casting news. Chris, tell us about the latest uh, about the Black Adam movie.
2: Uh, Pierce Brosnan has joined that film and he's going to be playing Doctor Fate. Uh, and that's a character I have never heard of before because I'm too fucking cool. No, I just i just <laughs> never read I just never read Black Adam comics, so I I'm not familiar with this character. But the character is described as, per the very handy DC wiki, a powerful sorcerer and agent for the Lords of Order who fights evil alongside his wife, Inza. His amulet, cloak, and helmet are creations of the ancient Naboo, which who acts as his mentor and spiritual guide. So really, this sounds a lot like a Doctor Strange ripoff to me, but... I looked this up, and this character actually predates Doctor Strange, so maybe Doctor Strange is ripping this character off. I'm sure a million people are writing angry emails right now to be like, how do you not know, blah, 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 blah. I have to say,
1: I know Doctor Fate only because of Young Justice, and it's a very different take on the character. Ah.
2: So, um, in, in the film, in the Black Adam film, Doctor Fate is part of the Justice Society of America, who are a group of superheroes who are banding together to stop... Black Adam, who uh, technically he's, he's kind of like an anti-hero now, but the character started off as a, a, a supervillain, and it seems like he's going to be a supervillain in this film, at least at first, and then maybe eventually turn into uh, uh, an anti-hero. And it's kind of interesting because uh, they've been slowly casting members of the Justice Society, and uh, a few months ago, I wrote up a story on another piece of casting, and it mentioned that, they were looking for quote a Sam Rockwell type to play Doctor Fate, and I, I really like Pierce Brosnan as an actor, but I do not see him as a Sam Rockwell <laughs> That's type. So I, a really I'm funny leap.
1: Sure. <laughs> yeah,
2: I'm not sure what exactly happened there, but uh, yeah, I, I'm curious to see how this turns out because Pierce Brosnan has always seemed to me like a really interesting, like character actor guy who sort of got like, you know, he played James Bond and he just got stuck in that mold, and I really think. If someone would give him sort of like a weird, prominent supporting role, he would break out and be like, not break out, he's always a star, but he would he would make us see like, oh, he can do so much more. And I kind of think this might be it. This might be like, it's going to make a lot of people realize that there's more to Pierce Brosnan than James Bond.
1: I We're ready for right. the Brosnan-essance. I-
2: Yes <laughs> he was very good in uh in Eurovision, the Netflix right Eurovision. yeah he's like, um, yeah, and, and like he's in like the world's end for like five minutes, but he's really memorable in that too, so I, I've been waiting for a sort of, sort of like bigger supporting role for him that makes us all realize like oh, we've been missing out on these better Pierce Brosnan roles mm.
0: um h t you mentioned you were familiar with this character because of uh, young justice is that character I, I I feel like I've seen some conversation around this casting that suggested that um, this is a little bit, you know, as much as everybody loves Pierce Brosnan, this seems like a little bit of a missed opportunity to cast an actor of color in this role. And I don't know anything about Dr. Fate either. In Young Justice, is he like uh, portrayed as a, a character of color?
1: No, actually. Okay, um In In Young Justice, it's actually the helmet that contains the sort of... Like soul or, or or like persona of Doctor Fate and whoever puts on that um, that helmet becomes Doctor Fate. Like I think Nabu is the one that controls that person through, uh, or possesses the person through the helmet. So Nabu might be like that that original like character of color, mm-hmm. but in Young Justice, the one who puts on the the Doctor Fate helmet and becomes Doctor Fate uh, is not of color. It's actually there's a whole thing where it's it's Zatara who is Zatanna's father, and there's a she has to be separated from him because he can only he has to put on the helmet to save everyone, and she can't actually ever see her father again because he has to become Doctor Fate. It's very sad. Um, oh wow! Yeah, but um, so it's not a person of color in Young Justice, but I do think as it's depicted in this film, which takes place like in in antiquity, it's, you know, back in ancient Egypt times, I think it would probably be preferable if it was a person of color, but maybe it's also one of those cases like, like we see in Young Justice where it's someone who is possessed by the helmet.
0: Mm-hmm yes all right well yeah i i'm right there on on board the uh, the pierce brosnan assance train with with both of you guys so uh i look forward to seeing how that movie treats him um let's go to another piece of superhero movie casting uh ht tell us about the latest uh, addition to shazam fury of the gods
1: well shazam fury of the gods is about to get a goddess of an actress oh, terrible segue sorry <laughs> Ellen Mirren is joining the cast of Shazam, Fury of the Gods, the sequel to Shazam. She's going to be uh, playing the role of the villain, Hespera, uh, described as a daughter of Atlas. And um, she is going to be joined. She's joining a fellow franchise newcomer, Rachel Zegler, who had been introduced before. uh, And she's going to be playing her sister, who may or may not both be of ill intent, according to sources uh, from The Hollywood Reporter. So... Hespera is, doesn't appear to have a clear DC Comics counterpart, uh, nor does the character have a foundation in Greek mythology. I was looking this up, and the closest equivalent in Greek mythology might be Hesperia, who is one of the nymphs of evening and the golden lights of sunset, and is the daughter of Hesperus, or it could refer to any matter of character or places, including the wife of Aesacus and the daughter of the river Sebrin. So this is a totally new character, basically.
0: Okay, so let me get this right. Rachel Zegler, who is starring in Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, and is probably you know uh, in her late teens or very early twenties—I don't know her exact age. I don't have that in front of me—is uh, playing the sister of Helen Mirren in this movie. Is that right?
1: According to the Hollywood Reporter. So. <laughs>
0: okay. All right. This movie's getting wild. Then I don't. I wonder what the parentage is like for for that family.
1: I mean, they're gods, so. Either they age a lot or don't age at all. So Yeah. <laughs> okay.
0: Uh well, what do you make of this, HTI? I mean, Helen Mirren has been popping up in uh, some bigger, you know, franchise material over the past few years, but what do you think about her popping into the, the DC EU like this?
1: Well, I'm all for Helen Mirren coming in and chewing up the scenery in whatever glamorous Greek um outfits they put her in. So I I'm hoping it's gonna be something along the lines of what Kate Blanchett did with um her character in Thor Ragnarok, who I'm forgetting the name of.
2: Oh, yeah, It was Carol, I believe. <laughs> it was Carol.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just like a complete scenery-chewing performance from Helen Mirren, who, you're right, has been popping up in a lot of franchises lately. She's kind of gotten a second wind in her career uh, as this um, great character supporting role, uh, character actors in supporting roles in um, various fr- action franchises like Fast and Furious. Yeah. Um, red and I always really enjoy her to see to see her like kicking ass so yeah I'm I think anything with Helen Muren is, is a bonus really I
0: just like as you were talking and, and talking about how, like you know seeing her in in Greek uh garb or whatever I just remembered that Helen Mirren is in Caligula which is this 1979 uh, historical movie about the the Roman Emperor. Yeah, that was um, like one
1: of our first films, I think.
0: Yeah, and that movie has its own reputation for like essentially being a softcore porn. Um, so okay. I don't know if anybody <laughs> has actually seen that movie. I, I had to watch it uh, during, uh, I, I minored in Greek and Roman, um, like in classics basically in college. So I saw it in a, a, a class about film that was devoted to Greek and Roman mythology and stuff like that. And it's a... Uh, an interesting movie um i don't know if i would <laughs> recommend it but uh i guess it's sort of a full circle moment for uh for helen Mirren getting back into that sort of aesthetic anyway so that's kind of cool um all right so let's get to our last news story of the day and that is a a tv show uh adaptation of something that has long been in the works is now officially happening at disney plus chris tell us about that
2: a National Treasure TV series is coming to Disney Plus, directed by Mira Nair. Am I saying that name wrong? I'm saying I'm sure I'm saying like it wrong. Mira Nair, I don't know. Uh,
0: Mira Mira Nair Mira Nair. Yeah, I've never actually heard it spoken aloud either. Now that you
2: mention it, I'm sorry for mispronouncing <laughs> it, but I'm I'm an idiot, so please excuse me. I'm a I'm a stupid person. <laughs> but um, the National Treasure TV show it has been talked about for a while now. Jerry Bruckheimer, who produced the films mentioned it uh i believe last year and now it's happening and it's sounding a bit different than the films um the show is going to focus on uh jess morales a 20 year old dreamer who with her diverse group of friends sets off on an adventure of a lifetime to uncover her mysterious family history and recover lost treasure and that's fine. But, you know, I I, I don't want to knock this because representation matters. And I like the idea of exploring history through a completely different lens. That said, this doesn't really sound like National Treasure to me. Like, when I watch the National Treasure movies, especially that first one, which I, I don't really like the sequel that much. But the first one I love, I, I'm just watching it to see a very dumb movie about Nicolas Cage running around... <laughs> finding ben franklin's magic glasses like (laughs) i don't I, i like it seems to me like they're using the national treasure concept to make like a serious show that investigates history through you know people of color and i i again i really like that idea that you know we need ideas like that but i also really just want national treasure to be a big dumb excuse for nicholas cage to find ben franklin's glasses like i don't yeah it's almost yeah. like
0: come up with a different title for it right. and the idea is great but like yeah it, it, i think you're right they, the national treasure movies have carved out such a um a specific and gloriously dumb identity for themselves that this almost feels like it's punching above its weight class by being like way smarter than yeah it's the, like
2: it's taking it too seriously and again i i feel bad saying that because it sounds like i'm knocking that idea and i i don't want to make that you know I'm all for it, and I I hope this show turns out to be good. But I really hope they also eventually make a new National Treasure movie that is just you know stupid. I want something <laughs> stupid, is what I'm saying. I I don't need I don't need a show about histories mysteries to be smart. I you know I I'm okay with it being dumb.
1: Yeah, H.C., do an
0: alternate. Okay, go
1: ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say cynically, this is just an executive decision made in the the boardroom to. uh take advantage of a a love for a a specific IP that Mm. has, you know, name recognition. So that's, yeah, it's unfortunately, like, that's basically what it is. But the idea is great. But, yeah, I watch a National Treasure movie for Nicolas Cage, essentially. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I wonder if he's going to, like, cross over and and appear in this. And then, like, is that going to be a clash of tones because... (laughs) (laughs) like of of the reasons that we've just been laying out so i I don't know
2: so to to be fair to to clarify last year when jerry bruckheimer brought this whole thing up he did specifically say that there's a tv show and a potential new movie in the works and he did say the show would focus on younger characters which it clearly is doing but a film a third film if it happens would bring back the characters from the movies so so uh, even though We have yet to get the official green light word on National Treasure 3. It sounds like if that happens... That will give me what I want, which is Nicolas Cage acting like a jackass, running around, breaking <laughs> into independence. Kidnapping
1: of... the president of the United States. Yeah,
2: stealing stuff <laughs> and just, you know, wearing oh. bad wigs. That's uh, what I want. I want that.
1: I love I, – sorry, just to take us off on, on a tangent. I just love that one of the big moments in National Treasure is, is the realization that um, Daylight Savings Times changes the whole thing. Like, yeah. Daylight Savings Times is one of the big climaxes. It's great. How <laughs> yeah, stupid. That-
2: exactly that's what i want i just give me something really dumb where nicholas cage like looks at the constitution and he's like there's a drawing of bigfoot on this that's why you know i want yeah. something like
1: that oh i need to rewatch national treasure <laughs>
2: All right, let's
0: jump into the mailbag. Uh Cade sent us an email with some just adi- uh, additional suggestions for a topic that we talked about a long time ago, uh, several months ago now, um which was movies or TV adaptations that were better than the books on which they're based. And Cade recommended Blade Runner, Forrest Gump, The Last of the Mohicans, and The Prestige. Um and Cade recommended, you know, had like a detailed uh, breakdown of of several of those including The Prestige, and I I forgot that The Prestige was based on a a novella is it by Christopher Priest? I'm not sure if it's like a, f- a full-length novel, but um Chris, is that something that you've read? It seems like something you might have read. I actually
2: haven't read it, but I do know it's it's really different than the movie. Like the book goes into like present day and stuff like this. So the, I, I do remember when the when the prestige came out, I was reading about how the book is a lot different, but I've never gotten around to reading
1: it.
0: Hey, have you read that one?
1: I haven't read any of the books for uh that were that these movies are based off of. Even uh, Blade Runner, which is based on uh, Philip K. Dick's *Do Androids Dream?* Dream of Electric Sheep, but I feel like that's not really based. It's sort of like draws inspiration from that. So yeah. a lot of like loose uh, definition of like a movie a book to movie kind of thing. I guess one thing we we forgot to mention was uh, *Stand by Me*, which is based off the Stephen King novella *The Body*. Mm. Right? Yeah. So that's also yeah. one, even though it's also like kind of loosened the definition of an adaptation.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we'll have to append that maybe our listeners can uh, can create a, a master list for us on some wiki that m- might exist somewhere. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't searched. I don't know if we have like a subreddit or something, but I don't know. Maybe somebody can put something like that together. Um, okay, so our next uh, uh, mailbag entry here is from Jeremy from Atlanta, who says, I never got around to seeing Justice League for a myriad of reasons, but now that the Snyder cut is out, I'm at least interested in watching it. My question is, should I watch the theatrical cut first or should I just dive right into the Snyder cut. Does the extended version work completely on its own or to truly understand the zeitgeist around it? Do I need to watch the theatrical cut first? Thank you. And I hope you all have a wonderful day. Uh, What do you guys think about this? We've all seen the Snyder cut. We've talked about it a lot over the past few days. Um, Do you think that watching the theatrical cut is a
2: requirement? I do not. Uh, Primarily because it's, you know, aside from all the new scenes, it really is the same movie. Honestly, it's, like, the same plot. It's the same premise. Same, you know, uh, a lot of the same dialogue. So, really, it's it's pretty much the same movie, just better and longer. So, you really do not need to watch the original, especially because the original isn't really that good to begin with. So, What do you think, H.C.?
1: I guess to appreciate why the Snyder Cut is such a big deal, you would want to watch the original, but I wouldn't recommend doing it because it just, yeah, it feels unnecessary in the way that I wouldn't want you to put yourself through that
0: (laughs) yeah unless you're really like looking at it from like a you know a historical or like a scholarly perspective or something I think you can you know have every conversation basically that you need to have just by watching the the full four-hour thing um if you are just the type of person who is yeah like very very curious and doesn't want to you know, just watch like YouTube clips of the differences or whatever, and wants to like really get that full experience. Then yes, you could spend six total hours in a day, you know, immersing yourself in a Justice League, uh, cinematic haze. I, I don't know if I would recommend that either. So I, I tend to agree that um, that you can just probably just watch the Snyder Cut unless you're specifically curious about those differences. But in terms of just being able to like participate in the cultural conversation about it. I think it's totally fine to just watch the Snyder cut and you'll be good. Um, okay. So then our, our last uh, mailbag question here is from Craig from Houston, who says, Uh, And he said this to us um, maybe a week ago, several days ago, when South by Southwest was still going on. So he said, uh, somebody who was able to virtually attend my first ever ever film festival this week with South by Southwest online, I wanted to reach out to the uh, Slash Film uh, Festival veterans to find out how they navigate the slightly overwhelming world of festival screenings. I'm just wondering how you try to select the films in advance that you hope to attend to watch and review and how you stay focused several days in. Uh, and a few other random musings on film festivals. Do you think that virtual elements of film festivals will continue into the future uh, for maybe all, uh, for all, but maybe the biggest festivals? What would you say is the ratio of quality films versus the forgettable ones that you find at most festivals? And then finally, uh, can each of you provide the the title of the one movie that has been the most memorable that you've ever watched at a film festival? Um, so there's a lot to go through there. Um, I think we've actually, I think Peter just was talking and Peter and Jacob on yesterday's episode were just talking about like whether or not the virtual component of film festivals would stick around. So I don't think we need to really address that. Uh, how do we try to select the films in advance? I think, you know, I think uh, if I could speak for all of us that we're lucky enough to be in a position where we all work well enough together where we can, we just uh, sort of to take a peek behind the curtain of what happens at Slash Film when, when we're all going to cover the same film festival, we all take a look at what uh, movies are going to be playing and we all just sort of rank them in order of how excited we are for those. And then we send them all to Jacob who then like works some math magic and gets back to us with just assignments based on uh, you know, the positioning and all that kind of stuff. I think that that approach has generally worked out pretty well for all of us. Um, he, he's pretty fair about, you know, making sure that we get to see the the things that we're most excited about. So we, we sort of lucked out I think in, in that department instead of just being you know, uh, sort of dryly assigned whatever movies uh, happen to be playing, and we swap um, movies
1: ha- too sometimes if we're uh, not particular, if we're particularly excited for one.
0: Yeah, that's right. Um, I-, I wanted to ask you guys, how do you stay focused several days in? That's a uh, you know, the, um, uh, Craig from Houston says that. Uh, <laughs> he was tr- preparing for his 15th movie over the course of three days when he was writing this email. So, uh, I think we all know that feeling pretty well. Is there anything, any particular tactic that you guys take to, you know, when you're like in the, um, in the grind of a, a film festival to sort of like stay sharp or, or anything? I mean, let's, let's take the virtual component out of it for this year because it's been a little bit different, but let's pretend you're like actually on the ground at a film festival. What what do you do to sort of stay focused? Do you have any, any tactics there? Nobody.
1: Right, yeah, right. I'm Oh, to I, was, I
2: didn't want to cut in and I Chris, least, geez, go ahead. I don't. Oh man, I don't know. It depends on. It really depends on the festival. Like, the, I don't have any trouble staying focused if it's like a virtual festival because you know whatever. Uh, if if I'm there in person, if I'm on the ground, um, I don't know, man. I I've never gotten to a point where i just like, ah, I feel unfocused. I feel tired sometimes. I feel run down. Um, there have been film festivals where like it'll be like i'll suddenly be like oh i haven't eaten in two days but, mm-hmm. um otherwise i'm just always uh, i'm always pretty much focused on the screening and then getting to the next screening it's just like i gotta gotta keep going i'm like sonic the hedgehog you could say. <laughs> just gotta keep running gotta, gotta go keep fast moving. gotta go fast i cannot slow down for a minute because if i slow down i will die like a shark so <laughs> i mean uh, i i feel like that's not really a good answer but i've you know, I've had festivals where I'm like, Jesus Christ, I'm fucking exhausted, but I'm never, you know, uh, every once in a while I might like skip a screening, especially if like, I don't, you know, I don't care about the movie that much, but otherwise I'm, I'm pretty much just always forcing myself to stay focused, you know, get up, you drink your coffee, you, you get to your screenings.
0: What do you got, Ashley? any tactics?
1: Um, I. I yeah, I mean, with with festivals, especially, you're just kind of in this high adrenaline mode, kind of like what Chris is describing. You're trying to get to all your screenings. You're trying to write at the same time, and generally, because you're in that that mode, that focus, that it's okay, it's easy to stay in it. It's once you you leave the festival, then you have like a bunch of reviews to write, and you're like, oh, now I have to write all these reviews that you kind of start to lose to yeah, lose focus it- a little
2: if anything like being at the festival is like for me at least it's invigorating it's like rejuvenating because i don't know if you can't tell folks but i don't get out that much uh even (laughs) even before pandemics i really don't go out that much and film festivals are like my one timey you're not depending on how many i go to but it's like the, the one excuse i have to actually be social and go places and and it's just the thrill of it, of being like, I'm at a film festival and I'm watching movies and I'm seeing them before the general public, you know, it keeps that's really what keeps me going. And then like HT said, like the minute it ends, the minute I go, you know, I get on the plane to come home. I come home and then I sleep for like 10 hours because it's like, Jesus Christ, that was so much <laughs>
0: Yeah, I can relate to that. I feel like every time you watch a new movie, even if it's your fourth or fifth movie of the day or something, there's like that sort of, uh, rejuvenating, like energizing feeling of like, this could be, you know, my favorite movie of this entire festival, this whole experience could be, you know, make a break based on what I'm about to watch. I could be about to witness some sort of crazy magic right here. So, um, yeah, I kind of love that feeling. All right. So then let's move into the last part of this question, which is, um, Well, yeah, we can skip the the ratio of quality films to forgettable because I I feel like that's gonna be that's gonna there's too much variance there. But um, let's get into the one movie that has been the most memorable experience that we've ever uh, sort of had at a film festival. I'll start this. I watched a movie called Like Crazy at the Sundance Film Festival in 2011. Uh, Drake Doremus wrote and directed this movie, um, and it starred uh, Felicity Jones and uh, Anton Yelchin, and they play characters who. Uh, meet and fall in love and um, the entire movie is about a a really uh, long distance relationship and I was in a long distance relationship with my now wife at the time of seeing this movie it was like right near the start of our relationship so this movie just like knocked me over. Like I got hit by a train. It was, it was, uh, such a, um, a powerful and emotional experience for me seeing this movie that was like speaking directly to the experience that I was having in my real life at that moment. So, um, that's the one that, that sticks out to me as the most memorable. Um, but, uh, Chris, what about you? I'm sure you've had some, uh, some memorable, uh, festival experiences in your day.
2: You know, I got a few, I was a little stumped at first, but I, I have a few, like one is high life, which is the Claire Denis film with Robert Pattinson which I saw at the the 2018 Toronto International Film Festival and I wasn't even going to see it and the last screening I could attend was the last night I was there and I was like I'm just not going to see it and it had already screened another time during that day and there was all sorts of buzz about it and everyone was like you gotta see High Life and I was like ah fuck so I, I think I I don't think it was exactly at midnight, but it was like a very, very late screening, maybe like an 11 p.m. And the line, because the buzz was so good, the line was insane. And the way film festivals work is even if you have a press pass, you need to get there at a reason, like you can't show up a second before it starts because there's not going to be any seats left. So I got there early, but even you know I got there early, the line was fucking crazy. And there, it looked like for a second there, that I was not even going to get in. It was like, well, I'm not going to get in, and um, and at, at the last minute, I managed to actually get in. But as a result, the only seat available was literally in the front row, which meant I had to like crane my neck backwards, like I was like looking up at a bird, and and you know, it's it's that it's for that movie. Which uh, how long is that movie? Like, I feel like it was more than two hours, but it might just be because. It felt that way because I was staring up for so long. I'm looking right now. No, it was only 110 minutes. Yeah, I was it like felt, an
1: hour and a half or something.
2: It felt like an eternity because I was my neck was craned back. That and that movie is like a sensory overload because it's about it's about I don't even know what it's about. It's about people in space and they're fucking all the time. And there's like
1: <laughs> Julie is like experimenting on everyone and there's
2: there's there's (laughs) lots of like close-ups of cum and it's just like so imagine like you're it's 11 o'clock at night you're very tired you're about to go home in a few hours and you're craning your neck backwards at an awkward angle watching a a movie about cum in space so i was just like by the time it ended i was just like i don't even know how the fuck i felt about that movie (laughs) Um, uh,
0: I, I can relate a lot to that, Chris, because uh, the same thing happened to me for "Only God Forgives," the Nicholas Winding Refn movie. I had to get—I basically got stuck in a front row seat for that, and that was—I uh, mean, there's far less um, ejaculate in that movie, but it <laughs> is uh, definitely a sensory overload in, in a similar way. So. Um,
2: and then two more. One is "Sound of Metal," which I saw also at TIFF, which was in uh, 2019, and the, the thing that made that memorable is uh it was the premiere screening and so it was packed and the stars were there and the director and all that stuff and at one point uh these people came in who were very very drunk like just incredibly intoxicated and midway through the movie there was like this commotion behind me from the drunk people And this, this woman was like yelling and she was like, stop the screening. Someone's passed out. And they did not stop the screening. (laughs) And they just like carried this, like this person basically got so drunk, they passed out and they had to be carried out of the screening. But like, I just remember this woman being like, stop the screening. And like, they were like, no, we're not (laughs) doing that. And so that was just the, and then my, my third memory has nothing to do with the movie at all, but I went to the Overlook Film Festival, which is a horror film festival in New Orleans. And it was my first time I'd ever been in New Orleans. And honestly, the movies there weren't that good, but the experience of being in New Orleans was incredible because I don't know if anyone here has ever been on New Orleans or listening has been to New Orleans, but that town is, it's basically everyone is drunk 24 seven and it's incredibly humid. So you're just like sweating And you're sweating out alcohol and people are just stumbling around the streets, holding open containers. And it was just, it was like, uh, it was, it was so much fun.
0: (laughs) Sounds like it felt like you were in a movie.
2: (laughs) Yes. I just, I had, I had such a good time. Like, even though I didn't like the movies I saw there and like New Orleans is such like a historic place. And, you know, I was like right in the middle of the French Quarter and everything's like gorgeous looking. So I was just like sweating and I was drinking and I was going on ghost tours and I was occasionally <laughs> watching okay horror movies and that was just one of my my like best experiences of my life. Like I would love to go back to that film festival just to have that experience again. I don't know if they'll ever do it again.
0: All right, HC, what about you?
1: Well, I have one that I feel a little bit miffed that Kristen uh mentioned it, but I guess he was leaving was, it for me.
2: I saw you had it. I didn't want to cut in on <laughs> right, it. <laughs>
1: Um, For me, it was seeing The Irishman at uh, the New York Film Festival in 2019. And it was because I got to see it with Chris. That's right. (laughs) And, you know, all the other people... Uh, who were there, who um, were also part of sort of that film Twitter circle and people I knew both through Twitter and in real life and through those professional lenses. And it was exciting to see them all together and congregating and being all excited for one thing, because this was the world premiere for the Irishman. It wasn't part of the lineup uh, of New York Film Festival. It was just the premiere. And uh, it was at the end of the festival and it was mostly press and still people were lined up uh, like two blocks around the entrance, uh when when I got there, which was an hour ahead. Chris had already gotten there, even though he lives
2: I live in New Jersey. In New Jersey. And I, I actually drove there from New Jersey like I got up at like five A. M. And even though, again, H.E. lives in New York, I was somewhere there before her. Yes, yeah, so and I, got... I still,
1: it sounds like I was late. I was there an hour early still, so whatever. <laughs> but but that, I was excited yeah. to, to see Chris, who let me cut in line and stand next to him. And uh, we were all sort of vibrating with excitement. And it's, here's a, here's an insight into what it's like to watch a movie movie with Chris. Because uh, <laughs> it's, it's actually oh quite fun. Because um, <laughs> when he likes a movie, uh, you can really feel it. It's like radiating off him. He sits up straight and you can kind of, here like i don't know what it is it's just like you can sense him really enjoying a movie so this was what it was like sitting next to him for the irishman he was just having a ball just enjoying the life out of it that was like we also saw um john mc3 together and that was him just being so excited about that movie so their insight into what it's like watching a movie with chris also irishman is great so it was just like a fun time overall and just seeing everyone and and seeing a movie with chris my bestie thank you
2: oh i had <laughs> That's a, I, so nice it was a lot of fun and that movie uh it's one of my favorite movies movies so good and that i don't you know if you've seen the irishman you know how it ends it ends with this big draining emotional beat and like the theater was like dead silent i was just like oh it's <sighs> <just>, like <laughs> letting out this sigh of like oh my god what a good movie and then i was like i have to go because i wanted to beat traffic And I got up to run and I kicked someone's water bottle over. And I was like, I'm so sorry. And they were like, don't worry about it. And I drove home. (laughs) And that's the story.
0: Oh, man. Great stuff. All right. Well, uh, good stories from from both of you. I I enjoyed that. I hope the listeners enjoyed that as much as I did. So, Uh, okay. Um, I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Film Daily. You can find more about all of these stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com. Of course, and linked inside the show notes of this episode slash film daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features that you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all of the popular podcast apps. Send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and more mailbag topics to us at peter at peter.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget also to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.